Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, NDC and Kerrygold milk quality winner Richard Starrett and his advisor Tommy Doherty join us to give tips about how he consistently produces high quality milk from grazed grass and top genetics. And Richard began with an overview of the farm. I took over the farm in 1994 when my father took the early retirement scheme. We were milking about 70 cows at that time and now we we're milking 160. It's a spring calving herd where we start calving uh, early February for 12 weeks. Um, the labour on the farm, and myself, there's a full-time labour unit, uh, David Blackburn, and there'd be two relief milkers then who would do alternative weekends or during the week if needed. The farm size is 64 hectares. 54 hectares of this is the grazing block. 160 cows of the herd EBA and the top 1% in the country. All black and white freezing. We don't have any jerseys. Um, the farm goes from sea level to 600 feet. The EBA of the herd is 199. Um, Mug index 67, fertility 89. Um, fat predicted, or fat 0.15, protein 0.12. Whereas 2021 calves, the EBA is 273, milk 95, fertility 132, with a protected fat 0.2 and protected protein 0.16. The grazing season on the farm starts on around the 20th of February, and the last grazing is usually on around mid-November. So, Richard, um, you know, lots of figures there, um, you know, looking at cow numbers, uh, the type of system that you're running, um, you know, the labour available on the farm on a day to day basis and the genetics and the I suppose the grassland that you're dealing with. Uh, I suppose to roll back on a few things, um, you mentioned, you know, going home farming in 1994 and you were at 70 cows. So you've over doubled your cow numbers. At what stage did that growth occur on the farm? Whenever we, we became dual quota holders with Connick Gold, back um, possibly maybe 10 or 11 years ago, um, we were able to get extra quota that way and build gradually up over the years, um, up to, I would say, 2017 would have been my highest uh, cow numbers, and I might have pulled back a few a few cows from that just to. I thought I just had too many. And 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 speaking of the cows, you know, you mentioned um, you're you've you know very high gen, high genetic merit in the herd, um, you know when we when we look at it on an EBI basis, um, you know was EBI always a focus for you, you know to get to the level of where you're at now, or you know is that something that you know you started somewhere along the way. I know it's always a focus. Uh, my father before me, he would even focused on RBA. Um, then the EBA came along now, and it's it's something yeah, we really focused on to try and get a cow with good solids and good fertility. And you mentioned solids. What exactly are the, did the cows produce in 2020? In 2020, uh, 594 kgs of mock solids were produced per cow. Fat, 4.52. Protein, 3.92. 6,837 litres. The cell count of 134 and the TBC of 8. 
and on that, uh, Richard, um, you know, a huge amount of milk per cow, you know, well above the co-op average and the national average, um, you know, you're achieving a very long grazing season despite being in a more challenging location in the country. Um, you know, I suppose what sort of a, a diet do you see the cows on on an annual basis out of grass from the 20th of February to mid-November uh, grass being the predominant feed what other feedstuffs have you going in there so we we'll just feed um meal, meal as needed um depending on the times of the year um we could be feeding from three to six kilos of meal um depending on let's say depending on how the grass quality is like but uh, we manage grass uh, measured every week and we know then what we need to be to be feeding like should it be bales or meal or or grass and a few kilos of meal. <clears throat> so you're effectively feeding the the wedge, Richard. Yeah. What would you feed in the average year from a meal perspective? Um, we've been around about one point two tons. Um, just going by what weather we're getting and stuff. Because uh, August would always be a fairly tricky month up in Donegal. We'd always get a lot of rain, and the grass dry matter would usually be in around about thirteen fourteen percent. So we'll actually start feeding maybe some bales even at that stage and. Uh, put the meal maybe up to five kilos yeah so so effectively feeding the wedge and being flexible with the wedge and the weather conditions um that you're experiencing you're quite exposed um richard um in your location you know you mentioned that you're at sea level up to 600 um meters but you're also you know coastal i guess um you know what sort of rainfall would you get annually um, it's. I think it's in around a, a sixteen hundred or something like that mills uh, at at various, but it's not actually the rain, the annual rainfall. It's you could go through August and you would get rain every day, um, maybe three or four mills, and it just there's no drying, and it just leaves the the, gra- the ground and the grass both wet. That's where the rain adds up. Like it's it's a small amount falling all the time rather than a big, big large amount. Like. To move on a little bit, Richard, um, the farm, um, your farm has come to national and international attention in the last few months when you were uh, crowned the 2020 NDC and Kerrygold Quality Milk Award winner, um, you know, as the overall winner and the sustainability winner. You know, I guess you've mentioned your, you know, your milk solids, your fat, your protein, your yield, your cell count you know so all really really impressive figures um i guess what do you think um from your perspective you know made you a winner and uh, i suppose a step above the rest that were involved within the competition was one of the main things that i would see would going forward now what's going to be happening over the years uh, we do five muck record we did five muck recordings there in 2020 and uh, we're using selective dry cow therapy for the past five years. Only cows with a cell count above 150,000 and cows maybe that got mastitis through the lactation will get antibiotics to drying off. Last year in 2020, 24 cows got antibiotics to dry off. This is based, or antibiotics to get us based on culture and sensitivity testing on these cows to see what antibiotics we need to use in them. I think that's that's a real uh, drive home thing going forward. Like it, people have to use less antibiotics. 
And looking at, you know, it's a process that you've been using for the last five years. What was the starting point for you, Richard? Um, probably down on around cell count of 80,000 and just trying off, trying maybe 20 cows, um, something like that. And just we, over the years, we saw those 20 cows didn't do anything different than any other cows that got antibiotics. And I guess like at this stage, you know, looking at 24 cows being dried off through select uh, with antibiotics, you know, that's 15 percent of your herd, roughly. I mean, you're at the other end of the scale to a lot of a lot of people with the starting point. You know, they're at maybe 15 percent of the herd, you know, dipping their toe in the water. Um, can you give us some top tips that you've seen from using selective dry cow over, a, I suppose, a longer term? Uh, the main thing is... Uh you have, that's a thing you can't rush in the milking parlour. Um, we would finish the milking and those cows were going to dry off. We'd be standing in the yard waiting for us. We'll remember we'd, we'll get our tea and get everything else finished up and we'll let in maybe 16 cows into the milking parlour and they'll get teeth sprayed and wiped. Then they'll get clean, uh, sprayed, cleaned in with uh, methylated spirits and we'll always keep do the ones for selective dry cow therapy first, then we'll do the antibiotic ones last. And just cleanliness. Cleanliness is the main driver of the whole thing. And and even on cubicles, we always uh, bed the dry cow cubicles every day as well. Um, and put lime or sawdust on them. What sort of batches would you dry them off in, Richard? Uh, anything from 16 to 32, but we only put 16 into the milking parlour at a time. I think it's it's just enough. I wouldn't we wouldn't try to dry off any more than thirty two in the one day. But like it's it's a thing you don't you don't rush. You don't be trying to go to another job very quick like. And I think I think that's a good point, Richard, because like, you know, there's there's no rocket science in what you're talking about. It's just, I suppose, being prepared, not rushing. Um, you know, making sure you follow the procedure correctly. And, you know, I guess, you know, you're, you're an example of somebody who has done it over a number of years and it's clearly working, um, you know, when where you're at the stage where a very small proportion of your herd is um, is is getting or needing to be dried off with um, with an antibiotic. I suppose a final question on that point, Richard, um, would you selectively call cows um, based on high cell count or, you know, a persistent offender um, across num- a number of milk recordings? I, I would, yeah. There are certain cows and everybody's heard that need to be got rid of uh, because you think they're getting cleared. Then the next thing, they're back next year again with the same problem and all they're doing is transferring it on to other cows. And I guess the reality for you is with five milk recordings in the year, you have a lot of evidence um, and it's quite obvious where a cow is in that scenario. Um, I guess to move on to you, Tommy, um, I guess, you know, not to to overemphasize it, but this was a huge win for Richard. And as I understand, he is the first um, winner um, of the competition from Donegal. Um, to you as his dairy advisor, um, you know, you have a lot of experience and knowledge of Richard's farm and his practices uh, for a number of years. 
what are the, I guess, key practices or technologies that you see on Richard's firm that he has implemented that make him stand out, you know, maybe across um, the cohort of farmers that you're dealing with? And I mean, we can discuss milk quality, but we can also discuss the overall farm practices. Yes, Emma Louise, like it's a fantastic achievement. Uh, it's a fantastic achievement for Richard and the Philistarad family to have won this prestigious award. Uh, Richard's very deserving of the award uh, as he runs an excellent dairy farm within the county here over many years prior to the one. Uh, he's constantly building and improving the farm. Uh, so not only is it a great award for the Starrets, it's a great thing for Donegal because up here like we're dealing with some exceptional farmers with exceptional herds uh, and achieve an excellent, you know, production from, you know, good land and also come from some marginal land also. So it's a fantastic achieve, achievement for uh, Donegal. Look at Louise, Emma Louise, uh, Richard's focus on soil fertility and grassland management and breeding over the years, like it's, it's the key to his success. It's not just one particular aspect like that, that, that won this award, there's a lot of simple things here that he's doing right. Uh, the big one is like the the, the practices around fertilization uh, and the use of NMP uh, and the production from grass, right? He's using technologies such as less uh, and protected urea to benefit both the farm and the environment. Uh, Richard also has adapted technologies such as automatic calf feeder and the backlatch uh, on the grazing paddocks to improve the labor efficiency on the farm. Uh, and this also minimizes the poaching and damaging damage to the grazing platform uh, as his cows then can access the cubicle cubicles on bad weather. Uh, look, this is a very positive effect on milk production as cows are getting their full allocation uh, of dry matter, uh, even if the grazing conditions aren't right. So like up here, we have to take the, take the good weather when it comes and he's often making good quality bales. Uh, and Richard talked there about the weather that we get in August time. Like, if he can manage to to to, to spread his you know production on into August and September, it adds a lot uh, to his overall yearly production. So that's a big factor uh, that we'll be discussing more on the open day. Um, with regards to emphasis on sustainability, grassland management, uh, and high. Uh, standards of animal welfare, like all have helped Richard uh, to be recognised for this award, Emma-Louise. And to you, Richard, um, you know, Tommy has outlined, um, I guess, what he sees from the outside looking in. And he has mentioned, uh, you know, I guess, a lot of factors that make your farm um, a sustainable farm, you know, in terms of he talks about grassland, uh, you know, feed management, um, you know, a holistic uh, view on soil fertility and soil uh, fertility management, but also looking at, um, you know, a social sustainability in, in the form of, of labour efficiencies. Um, for you, like in your mind, what does sustainability mean for your dairy farm? Sustainable day would more or less mean I want to farm in, in a way that I have something in good shape to pass on to the next generation the way I got it. Like would be managing soil fertility and we're using the less this last five years, low emission slurry spreading, and using protected urea, protecting the waterways. I would keep improving the breeding of the cows 
uh, overshowing clover on the paddocks with solar panels fitted on uh, one of the cubicle house roofs and hedgerow management and much more there is other than that. Talk, talk about that the the you know the next generation and and looking at at creating that viable and sustainable business that you can pass on how important was it for you Richard you know stepping into the farm in 1994 and I guess getting the responsibility from the older generation um, and the opportunity to go farming at that stage yeah, I think it was a, a nice age to be able to take over the reins and still have your parents there to advise you as well um rather than trying to take over and when you're 30 or 40 and uh, just give you gives you more control of the thing and go whatever way you want to go and um, we used to have discussion groups and stuff we always knew what direction we had to go solar panels um richard you know n- not something we see on every farm how are you benef- benefiting from that they're up uh put up now two and a half years ago and I think it was, looking at it like it, I thought it was a one-one situation because there weren't a big cost to start with um, and their, their, their lifespan is maybe 25 years. Um, they'd be saving us around 900 euros of of electric a year and they'd probably have themselves paid for maybe in six years. And where are you directing that energy that's being created with the solar panels? Goes into whatever is happening on, on the yard at the time. Uh, should it be cooling milk, milking the cows, uh, heating water, um, pumping water, anything to do with with whatever happens in the whole electric circuit on the yard? Like we use it all. We use all the electric like that, that it produces. And and looking then to uh, clover, Richard, you you mentioned clover. Um, is this a, a a new addition to the farm, or have you had a certain level of clover on the farm across a number of years? Uh, this is a new thing now. This year, um, I'm involved with the Chagas Signpost Program, and we're trialing now over sowing clover into paddocks to see what sort of a success we're going to have uh, going forward. And at this at this point in time, say if we reflect over the last two or three years, on average, what sort of grass production are you achieving on the farm? Just over fourteen tons there in twenty twenty. And I guess is there an expectation that you might lift grass production, or is clover something that is going to lead to a reduction in nitrogen application on the farm? Um, hopefully, it'll lead to a reduction in nitrogen application on the farm. And have the same, be growing the same amount of grass with the clover making up the rest of the nitrogen. It's an interesting one, and and I guess it's it's a long term project across a couple of years in order to um, establish clover. Um, and it, it's interesting to see it working in combination with good soil fertility and grassland management. You know, it it can have huge potential. So, it's, I, I guess something to um, that will be interesting to see on your farm. To you, Tommy, uh, consider you know thinking about the herd of cows. You know we lo- we we have all seen some clips of Richard uh, on his farm in recent months. But I guess from a genetics perspective, what sort of potential or 
uh, performance do you see Richard has achieved um, with his herd relative to an average EBI herd? And I guess a follow on question from that at a herd that's producing 594 kilos of milk solids, has he reached his peak or is there potential for more? Maybe just to answer your first question, uh, Emma Louise, like from that level of production, uh, it's a fantastic level of production, 594 kilos of solids in 2020. Uh, like by and large, he's up 161 kilos of milk solids uh, in the last seven years. So like this is a herd of cows that sort of peaked out in 2017. Uh, he reduced cows then in 2018 by around the 9%. Uh, he still sold uh, by and large the same volume of milk uh, so that if you flick the mind back that was basically in the drought on Donegal it didn't get as affected as, as bad as it did down south but it was a real eye opener for farmers uh, that sometimes the, the, like it's not all about cows it's a matter of focusing on your good cows offload your passenger cows uh, and Richard did mention it there like the use of milk recording and like as regards a technology and, 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 a, and a practice that farmers can adopt and use, like my one point of advice all the time is keep milk recording at least four to five milk recordings in the year and select them cows that are underperforming and pulling down your good cows. As regards where can the herd go? Uh, look, the herd, uh, as regards, as regards e- e- EBA, we're sitting with a herd here in the top 1%. The breeding is predominantly focused on, on, on milk subindex and fertility subindex. Within uh, the groups here and Richard's groups, uh, specifically in Donegal, they're sitting down and they're tearing their hair of cows apart. And what I mean by that is they're matching cows with high milk subindex to low, sorry, high milk subindex bulls to low milk subindex cows. Uh, they're trying to push on with their PDs and that for fat and protein percentages. Uh, and they're also watching the milk kg, so they're not necessarily focusing on all volume. Uh, they, they, they're running around that 60 to 70 kilos of milk, milk within the herd, and they're trying to breed all the time for percentages, and the milk kgs will follow. As regards Richard's herd, like at the end of the day, we're sitting uh, way, fi- way 500 uh, and, and 90 odd kilos of solids. What I'd be telling them is that he's he's reached his potential. We could easily pull out 650 kilos of milk solids out of these cows, but we're up in the tonnage of meal that's going into them. And I don't think that is sustainable going forward. My advice is just to sit still, uh, keep doing what he's doing, keep increasing the genetics within the herd. Uh, The grass is excellent quality going in. And that 1.2, 1.3, except a ton of meal, you know, that's what he's that's what he's pulling out of them. So uh, from my point of view, we're not pushing any more than that. We'd be very, very happy uh, with that level of production, uh, with, with the level of input. But it's the key thing uh, that we discussed, Emma Louise, was the, the practices of focusing on milk recording and the efficiency of EBA uh, and then focus on the generic merit improving yearly uh, to improve the farm sustainability. And also there, like as we as we look throughout the county here, and it's probably the same right across Ireland, like farmers that have placed significant emphasis there as last number of years, uh, adopting EBA and improving EBA in the hair and the herds, 
uh, and breeding for Mox subindex and Fertility subindex, like by and large, these are the most profitable and most sustainable farms uh, long term. Yeah, I think you've made some good points, Tommy, and, and naturally, you know, um, to increase milk solids output per cow or, or milk yield, you know, there is an obvious one of increasing the the concentrate uh, supplementation. But I mean, you know, you, you also mentioned it as a follow on point there. There is a question over the sustainability of of um, of that practice. But I suppose as it stands, there's a, a really strong uh, production per cow, you know, probably again, like EBI, it's probably in the top one percent in the country. So, you know, the I guess the the room and the opportunity for gains in in production are quite limited relative to maybe the average herd. Just, I guess, a final point on breeding, Richard, you know, you you were you mentioned your fertility subindex and your milk subindex. Are there any other index subindexes within the EBI that you would focus on with your herd of cows? And our two, I see there what we're mainly f- focusing on as well as the maintenance. We try not to p- select any uh, bulls with a maintenance under 10 when we're picking them. And the health, a very important one going forward for cows with uh, a little less mass status and, and good feet. So again, similar to the system, it's it's a it's um I guess looking at the cow, there's a holistic approach. Um, I suppose given the emphasis on milk and fertility, that's where the the main emphasis lies. But I guess also then the the functional traits like the the weight of the cow, and also then looking to the health. So what you'd have what you're calling cows on, um, such as mastitis and and lameness. I guess Tommy, to you, um. You know, as an advisor, um, you know, you should be welcome us all, welcome us all onto the farm, um, greeting us at the the front gate, um, for an open day at the starts. But unfortunately, um, all roads can't lead to the northwest, um, on this occasion. But Richard and the Start family will open the farm to us, um, next week. Can you give us some information about the event? Um, I guess. When is it on and how can we tune in and what will be, um, I guess, shown on the day? As farmers, we love a day out at this time of the year. We're after a busy spring uh, and like Donegal farmers are not feared to travel. We normally get into the car and head to Ballyhays or Moor Park or open days along the west or so on. But unfortunately, this year we can't uh, get doing that and it's a virtual farm, uh, a virtual farm walk. Uh, it's Tuesday, the 29th of June at 11 a.m. Uh, you can register uh, by www.chagas.ie and forward slash virtual farm walk. There's various different advertisements in the Farmers Journal and Chagas platform and also through the Revo Co-op and the NDC uh, website. So Click on that link, register till it, and I promise you, like, you should get the insight into a farm here that's bred an excellent herd of cows over, over, over the last over the last 10, 15 years. And also uh, it's a farm that is doing, you know, the simple things all, all right here. We're not, you know, there's nothing overly fancy going on in this farm. It's just the basics and the simple things are all done correctly. Uh, and when they should be done. So it's promising to be a very, uh, a very, a very informative uh, talk. There's some excellent speakers lined up. 
covering genetic, genetics, uh, grassland management, the environment, sustainability, uh, and outlook, etc. So look, do your best to tune in. Uh, it'll be it'll be wrapped up within an hour, so eleven o'clock time, the tea that particular morning, uh, so you all can be available. To and and I think great point, Tommy. It's um, you know, I guess this award is a reflection um and a celebration of the small things being done right. Um, you know, often when we think about a spring calving grass based system, the fundamentals and the starting point is good soil fertility, strong grass growth, and you know a, a stocking rate to match. And good genetics in combination with all of that. And, you know, I think this conversation today has reflected that. We'll leave the final word to you, Richard. Just like they say, um, I've travelled uh, to many farms in Ireland and abroad over my years. And it's a great pity at this stage now that we can't have people on the farm um, for a walk. And uh, we're really looking forward to Open Day, a virtual Open Day. And everyone is more than welcome to register and join us on the day. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Richard Starrett and Tommy Doherty for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.